it, a little bit, a little more, <laughs> still loud. <clears throat> if you didn't notice, uh, I did get a new piano. Who, who was it, Jerry, that donated that to the church? A doctor on the hill. Ken Tilson donated that to the to the church as they they were moving and they gave it to us and uh, we appreciate that. That'd be it's different, ain't it? <laughs> That's nice. It's, it does sound good. So we appreciate that. We'll need to get them a, a thank you card or something. Do you have their new address or can you get it? All right, that'd be good. Um, for y'all that heard, hopefully that you did hear this week, but Miss George's house had some uh, fire damage to it. Did you go, Edward? Did you go up there? Um, just there's there is damage there. She's going to be out of her house for a little bit. She's going to try to find her a, an apartment or something to stay in uh, until she gets it fixed. She was going to stay up in her cousin's cabin, but um, it's not winterized, and she's afraid she's going to have to stay there for a while. So she's going to try to find her another place to stay. So remember Miss Georgia, and then hopefully we'll be able to talk to her here in the next few days and figure out what she needs if she needs anything from us, and we'll we'll keep you in the loop. But be in prayer for her. I know it's stressful, extremely stressful for her, especially being uh, living at home alone. But uh, be in prayer for her. And then Gene is at Life Care now. Um, so just be in prayer for that family as he recovers. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, it's just, he's just struggling. Yeah. And you know how the mental side goes for one person, it affects the whole family. It's just one of those, it's 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 tough. It's really hard. Those um Anybody with Alzheimer's or dementia or just their their mind just slipping, it makes it really hard on the family. So be in prayer for them. Um, I think that was it, I can recall. Uh, be, oh, yeah, we got that, that storm's getting ready to hit the coast sometime, probably tonight or tomorrow. And so we're supposed to get a lot of heavy rain and uh, floods and stuff like that. So just uh, uh, mind your neighbors, take care of them if you can, and make sure they don't float away if you like them. If you will, turn over to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, the children of Israel. I don't know if you guys have caught this or not, but over the past two weeks, almost every, if not every, but every other devotion that we've done has come out of Exodus, and it just, and I couldn't figure out why, but this week it really set with me, and I've done a lot of studying, and, and finally figured out why. So we're going to look at some lessons that we have learned, all of us have learned, from the children of Israel. And it just makes perfect sense. And I, I was getting irritated with the person that writes those devotions that we do because they would not get out of Exodus. But then I went back and done a little bit more studying on um, what they had been writing, and it just made absolute perfect sense. It really built up to uh, the message. And so as we're, as we're in there, we're going to think about that day. Think about that day when the children of Israel were finally released out of slavery. That was a great day for them. Because they had been in bondage, they had been uh, slaves for so long, and they wanted out. And so they had this day finally where, where uh, Pharaoh finally just turned them loose. So it was a great day for them to be free at last, to finally be free from Pharaoh. And they confirmed a new covenant with God, and they, were re they recognized, and they were recognizing this new life that they were getting ready to start. And they were happy. They were getting ready to take off on a journey, a long journey, uh, and it was a new start for a life that they had uh, been living that was just so miserable for so long. 
And they, so they were excited. They were happy. And they were no longer slaves in Egypt. And that alone probably is what excited them the most. They were not slaves. Not only that, but they were getting to follow their God, and they were getting to do uh, what they were commanded to do, and they were getting to go and, and have it live a somewhat normal life. So they were extremely excited about that. But that meant some changes for them. It meant switching their thinking over. It meant switching their priorities. So at some point, their priorities were Pharaoh. Their priorities were being slaves. Their priorities were work, 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 work. And now it wasn't. It was mind God, mind God, mind God. That, that was their priority now. And it was hard for them. It, it's kind of like switching jobs. If any of y'all have ever had to switch jobs, and maybe you've been at one job for a long time, and then you switch over to something that is totally different than what you've ever known in your whole life. It's, it's, it's different. It's weird. It's like, how do I, I need to get into a new groove. Well, that was how they were. They were trying to get into this new groove. They had been slaves for their whole lives or for the majority of their lives, and now they're not. All they're doing is walking and wandering and, and minding God and eating manna, following this old guy. So that's, it was different for them. So they're trying to get into a new groove of things. And God used these experiences for them to them for their, their, the remainder of their lives and it went, the, what they were going through, uh, he used that to mold them into what he wanted them to be because he did deliver them. He brought them out of bondage and he said, I'm going to mold you in what you need to be and what I want you to be. Well, he's doing the exact same thing for us today. We go through our own wildernesses. We talk about going through valleys all the time and sometimes we talk about being on these mountaintop highs. But we go through our own wildernesses as children of, uh, of God. We go through these wildernesses on, on uh, purpose. We go through them because God wants to mold us. God wants to use these wilderness experiences that we go through to mold us into what he wants us to be. He wants us to be good, outstanding Christians. He wants us to be great brothers and great sisters. He wants us to be friends. He wants us to be uh, family. He wants us to be loving. He wants us to show that compassion. That's what he wants from us. So we're going to have to go through a wilderness or wildernesses in our lives so that he can mold us into what he wants us to be. The same way with these children of Israel. He sent them through the wilderness to mold them in what he wanted. And that's what we have, always have to remember. It's about what he wants. Now, as adults, as, as parents, we know what we want for our children, do we not? We want them to be educated. We want them uh, to, to have a life that is, is abundant and, and just something that w what we typically want from our kids is what we never had growing up. That's what we want as, a, as parents. That's what God wants from us as his children. He wants us to have the best and be the best. And for him to provide and love us like we are loving our children. So that's what God wants. He wants to mold us and, he, and form us. You know, and he do, again, he does the same thing today as he did back with the children of Israel. He, and he wants us, as we go through these hard times and these good times, as we go through these times of, of hardships and we go through these times of celebration, he wants us to take the good and the bad and mold us through the good and the bad. And we see that in each one of our lives, the way he molds us. And I love that. This morning we're going to look at what God was trying to teach the children of Israel in the wilderness and there's six lessons out of this six short lessons that we'll look at sorry you're not gonna get three points out of this one day it's you get twice as much this morning so if you got your bible turned over to exodus 24 stand with me and we're going to read verse 1 through 7 exodus 24 verse 1 
It says, And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord thou, and Aaron, and Nabad, Nadab, and Abu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and built an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it to the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord hath said, we will do and be obedient. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come to you, uh, Lord, as we are able to come back into your house, God, we want to thank you for your blessings this week. Thank you uh, for your abundance, Lord, where you have uh, Lord, where you have done nothing but sustain us, Father, where we have done nothing but feast on the manna of heaven this week, Lord, where we have feasted on your love and where you have uh, continually just showed up, Lord, when we needed you. Lord, as we walk through this wilderness of 2020 that we're going through right now, Lord, we don't know what's coming next. Lord, we've been blindsided from every way, uh, Lord, by so many different things. But Father, we know that you're still in complete control. Lord, we know that you have this as we wander through this wilderness of 2020. Father, I pray that you continue to guide our paths. Lord, may we stay strong on your word and stay focused on you. And Lord, may we, uh, whatever happens at the end of this year, Lord, we'll just give you the praise, honor, and glory. And Lord, I pray that your name be glorified and magnified through whatever takes place. We love you. We praise you. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> I like this little part right here. Verse 7 at the very end, it says, All the Lord has said unto, unto, let me back up here, and all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. I like that little part right there. That's, that last part's the equivalent of us saying, and I surrender all. It's the biggest lie ever sung in church. <laughs> <laughs> that's the children of Israel right there said all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient another lie you know good and well they ain't going to be obedient we know the story we know the outcome they're going to whine and gripe and complain the whole time and uh, and not make it they're not going to make it there they're going to die off there's going to be a whole generation gone before they get into uh, the promised land but we're not going to talk about that today the first thing we're going to look at this morning lesson number one is <clears throat> brace yourself Magnify the plagues. There's plagues right here that we're talking about. There's ten plagues that we're looking at. And he's telling us, God is telling us, you've got to magnify them. You gotta, and I know it sounds weird, it sounds funny, but that's what he's wanting us to do right there. Why would we want to magnify hardships? Well, here's what happened in Egypt. God wanted to change the system. God wanted to change what was going on in the lives of the, the children of Israel. God wanted to change Pharaoh. God wanted his people released. Moses wanted his people released. So God said, we're going to have to change some things. I've got to step in, and we're going to make a difference. We're going to make some changes. And the children of Israel didn't, uh, they didn't want to be the slaves that they were. And God said, I don't want you to be either. So let's make some changes. Let's do some things different right here. But Pharaoh wouldn't budge. He was a stubborn man. He would not budge. And so God allowed Moses to give 10 plagues, 10, that's a lot, we're still dealing with one, and we're overwhelmed, but he said, here's 10, 
Just keep chalking them out there. Just keep throwing them out at Pharaoh. He's going to give. Just keep tossing them out there. He will give. So God allowed him to keep calling down these plagues until he finally got his attention. Now, the plagues, if y'all remember, I had to write them down because I, I keep forgetting them. It was the river of blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the pestilence, the bulls, the hell, locusts, darkness, and then the last, of course, was the worst one, and that was the death of the firstborn. And that's what Paisley, what was it, Paisley? They sent him down the river. Yep. Hear it, little voice, yeah. He sent him down the river. Ten. Ten. And he, it took him to the tenth one to finally budge, Pharaoh to finally budge. Does God do that now? Now I want you to think about it. Does God do that now? Does he send the frogs and the pestilence and the lice and, the, and uh, all the other bulls and everything else that he's got going on, does he still do that? No, not in that way. Not in that way. But he still sends, sends things to us. And, and I believe, I told you all this back in March, I believe that this COVID thing is a pestilence from God. Because if you go back and you look at what we're reading today, and you look at some other things, in the, in especially the Old Testament, God sent pestilence so that we would focus on him, to turn our hearts so that we would see that he is in control. What does he do for us right now? Not, I'm not talking about COVID this morning. I'm talking about something totally different. What happens when we don't come to church for a while? What happens when we don't do our, or read our Bible or do our devotionals or whatever you do in the morning? What happens when we don't focus on God on a daily basis? What happens to us? We, we, we look at ourselves and we say, things just don't seem to be going right for me right now. Why is it? What have you not been doing? Not been focusing on God. When you don't focus on God, it seems like things don't go right. Me and Conley's talked about this before. I can't stand to miss a Sunday. It bothers me. I don't, my week is ruined from the beginning. I don't like it. I don't like it when it snows and we can't be here. It ruins my week because I feel like I'm separated not just from God, but I'm separated from God's people, y'all. I don't like it. So when you're not part of the fellowship, when you're not part of the congregation, when you're not part of the, the morning studies or devotions or whatever y'all do in the mornings when y'all get up and drink your coffee, you're going to be separate. You feel separated from God. And at some point, you're thinking, what in the world have I done to deserve this? Where is God at? Where have you been? And where's God? He's still right there. Where have you been? What, what's your deal? Where have you been? If you feel like there's something missing there, it's, it's you. That's what's missing. It's your obedience to God. And you do feel empty. You feel like, I, I need to be refilled. God, where are you at? I need, I need to be, my cup ain't running over no more. I need, I need you to be spilling over into my saucer for a little while. But it's you. You've got to step up. You've got to be there. Remember that. God's trying to tell you something when, uh, when you feel like that. He's saying, hey, buddy, your, your way ain't working. How about listening to me right now? Your way ain't getting the job done. How about you listen to me and let me get the job done for you? Your way is ruining everything. My way is perfect. How about listening to me and let me have this? Let me take control. So, yes, we need to remember the pestilence. Remember all that he can send us and all that he has done for us, all that he is, even when it looks like it's a bad thing, he's still in control. Even when, these, when, when bad things happen, he is still in control. That's what me and Georgia was talking about this week after her house uh, caught on fire. Why? She said, why, why does the bad things seem to keep happening to me? And it is a reminder, God is in control. He is, he, you know, he couldn't have woke her up. She could have, bad things could have happened through that little fire, that big fire, whatever it was. Bad things could have happened. 
but they didn't because God was in control. And he took care of her. He watched out for her. Lesson number two, mark your ending. Mark the ending. That's a good lesson for each one of us. Remember those, those endings. We need, to, we need these mile markers in our lives. Yeah, I think everybody in here has probably rode down the parkway. What, what do you see every mile on the parkway? Mile marker. Things happen. And I was thinking, Edward, you, you can back me up on this. You can recall car wrecks that happened. <laughs> you can recall those car wrecks that happened at mile markers on the parkway. Oh, I remember. Oh, I know where that's at. We had a car flipped over. or We, we done, you know, extrication over on mar- at the parkway at that mile marker one time. We remember those mile markers. We remember those markers in our lives. So the Red Sea marked the ending of what was considered a terrible time in the children of Israel life. It marked the end of a bad time in their lives. They would remember that the only way they could ever be free was through God, and there was no turning back. We all have those mile markers in our lives. We all have a mark that we can remember where God showed up and things changed, and God got a victory out of us. We all have them. I've got them. i give you my first one. My first mile marker is where I remember God's victory was in a little bitty tiny church over in Vilas, Number 26, 1997, God got a victory because he saved an old sinner named Chad Cole. He got a victory. I'm the winner. I won. I beat the devil. That's a mile marker in my life. Fast forward, November 2010, I got another mile marker in my life. I'm in Haiti, pushing IV, starting Ringer lactates as, as hard as you can push them things. And God starts dealing with my heart. He starts dealing with me. I, become, I got under conviction. And you fast forward up to March 2011 at Willowdale Baptist Church. When I finally gave in and said, all right, Lord, here I am. Do with me as you please. I surrender the call to preach. That's a mile marker. Each one of us has a marker. It's not, you may not be your call to preach. But we have a marker in our lives. If you're saved by God's good grace, you've got a mile marker that you can go back to and you need to remember. But it may be where you have fallen and you slipped. Maybe you was an addict or something like that. And there was at some point in your life where you finally just gave it to God and said, I am yours. Do whatever you want me to do, God. That's a mile marker. That's a marker that we need to remember and turn back to and remember that. Remember that mile marker. Maybe one of them for you this morning might be sitting here right now. Maybe God's dealing with your heart. Maybe you're listening online and the Lord's dealing with your heart about something, whether it be salvation or, or some calling that he has on your life, whatever it might be. Maybe today is the day that he is working on you and that you're going to get things right with him and you're going to let him get in your life and use you the way that he wants you to be used. Maybe today is your mile marker. I don't know, but we need to have and remember those mile markers that each one of us has. Lesson number three, how to deal with murmuring. Whew, I might have to park on that one for a while. How do you deal with murmuring? You know what murmuring is? Complaining, gossiping, that's murmuring. Not that that ever happens in any Baptist church whatsoever, ever. murmuring all the time Moses bless his little heart had to deal with that gossiping that complaining all the time murmuring 
also involves the tongue tearing someone down instead of building somebody up. That's part of murmuring as well. And we know that he had to deal with that. Moses had to deal with that for a while. Wine and youngins. That was what, and he had to figure out how to deal with it. When we put down leadership instead of building it up and praying for it, that's murmuring. When we try to, or when we when we put down people that are struggling with their life instead of undergirding them and helping them out, that's murmuring. By Sunday, don't murmur. Do something about it. Help that person out that's in trouble. That, that leader that needs encouragement, help them out. That person that's in the ditch that needs encouragement, help them out. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Don't gossip. Don't start things. Just help them out. Be that brother, that sister that we're called to be. Now, Moses had to deal with it. We talked about it. But do you know what he learned to do? Now, listen to this. He learned how to find ways to confront those people and show love. You got to confront that person and show love, and that's probably one of the hardest things for a Christian to do is to confront that person that's murmuring about you against you and fix it. We don't want to. We don't. Do you know why Christians don't like confrontation? We don't like. I don't. It's not just. I don't think anybody likes confrontation. We don't want to deal with it. We just sweep it under the rug. But Moses said, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm still going to love them. It wasn't just Moses going to deal with it. He wasn't just going to roll heads and take names. He said, I'm going to deal with it and love them. And you know why? Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus himself said that Moses is kind of a forerunner of, of the Messiah. The way that he dealt with things was the way that Jesus would deal with things. It's not easy, but let me explain to you why. Mark 15, 29 says, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mock and said among themselves, which are with the scribes, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. How about Luke 23? It says, Then, Jesus, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Jesus hung on that cross with insults hurled at him constantly. They were railing on him, mocking him. And what did Jesus do? He said, Father, forgive them. That's all he said. Father, forgive them. Who are we supposed to be like as Christians? We're supposed to be as close to Christ-like as possible. As close. So if we're going to be Christ-like, we've got to be just like Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We have to be the same way when that person rails on us or that person is talking bad about us or starting up rumors about us. We are to say, Father, forgive them. But we got to go a step further. We have to forgive them. There's the hard part. God says, I'll forgive them. And then he forgets it and he casts it down into the lake of forgetfulness and it's gone. But what do we do? Our, with our mouth, we'll say, I forgive you, but with our hearts, we hang on to it. 
and we hang on to it, and we hang on to it, and we're going to drag it back out 27 years down the road or 50 years down the road or 70 years down the road. We're going to pull it back up. Next time you see him at Walmart, say, I remember what he done to me back in 1962. That's what we do. That's what we do. God don't want us to be like it. He said, be like Jesus. Father, forgive them. And he will, and we should too. Forgive them and let it go. And let it go. Number four, lesson number four. You can't serve God by yourself. You cannot serve God by yourself. You need a little help. Actually, sometimes we need a lot of help. We need good, faithful Christians around us to help us serve God. Don't you think about missionaries. And every now and then I will get on my soapbox about missionaries. I love them. I absolutely love them. But you think about a missionary. If it's a husband and wife, it's usually just a husband and wife. They're on their own. They're going out and they're going to these, they may go to a foreign country, they may go into the school systems like the Conrads, but we have these missionaries and they're usually by themselves. They need us. They have to have us. They got to have the church. They've got to have people backing them. Not the financial side of it. They need that too, but they need prayer. They need prayer. And I, we were talking about it last week when, uh, when Watauga decided not to go to school for the first nine weeks. We can't have a yes club. We've got to try to figure out some way of getting in touch with our kids somehow because it breaks my heart. Some of these kids that are in our classes, that's the only church they get. And they ain't had church since March. We've got to figure out how to get to them. These missionaries, like the Conrads and the others and the Hollyfields and some of the others that are out there, they need our prayer support because they're trying to figure out what to do as well. We need one another. We can't do this by ourselves. In Exodus 18, Moses, he was confronted by, this, by his father-in-law, old Jethro. Old Jethro. Not Beverly Hillbillies, if that's what you're thinking. I know somebody was thinking it. Old Jethro. I preached on this one time. Do you remember me preaching on that over at Beach Valley? We all, need a, we all need a Jethro. Every one of us needs a Jethro. Some point in our lives, we're going to get to a point where we think we can do it on our own. I've got this. I can lead this group myself. I can, I can be in charge of the whole bunch. But then you got Jethro stepping up. And he tells Moses, no, you can't. You can't do this. There's no way you can do this. You need to delegate. You need some more leaders under you. Under you. You need help. And when Moses finally gave in and said, yes, I do, here, Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. We need that kind of help. We need to be able to delegate some of these things out so that we can have help in the ministry because we're all in the ministry. And when we do that, and we use good godly people to delegate things out to, God will bless us. He's going to bless them too because it ain't one person trying to do many things. It's many people doing lots of things. And that's what he wants us to do is to delegate. We need each other. That's why we can't have conflicts. And that's why we can't have conflicts and let them fester. Oh, ain't nothing worse than a festering conflict. And it could go on for years. When we have that festering inside of us, number one, you ain't going to worship. If you've got, a, if you got a alt against your brother and you try to come to church and go to church with that person, you ain't going to worship. 
you're going to sit there and stare that person down for 45 minutes to an hour saying, I wish you'd go to the bathroom or I wish you'd go outside so I can pay attention to the preacher because I can't focus right now because so-and-so sitting there across from me. We can't let things fester. We've got to get through it. We've got to get over it. We've got to forgive them. None of us can take on the ministry that God's called us to on our own. If nothing else, we've got to have prayer support. It doesn't matter what your role is in the churches. You've got to have prayer support. You've got to have people backing you. You've got to have people praying for you. There's no way I can do what I do without y'all's prayers. I, there ain't no way. I couldn't function without a church praying for me. I couldn't function as a pastor if it wasn't for having good deacons and trustees to keep the church going. I can't do it on my own. And I would, Marie will back me on this. I had to do it on my own for quite a while at Beach Valley. We had nothing. It was a, had a preacher and a choir leader. <laughs> that was about it. And you can't do it. You got to have good support. We need each other. Remember that. If nothing else, we need each other to pray for each other. Number five, opportunities can be made out of any situation. The biggest thing that came out of their experience in the wilderness was guess what? It was ten things, and it wasn't plagues. <laughs> it was the commandments, the ten commandments. That was the greatest thing that came out of the wilderness, in my opinion. I'm probably wrong. That happens a lot. Is that right? Yeah, she nodded. Ten great things that came out of the wilderness was the ten commandments, where God himself gave Moses the law. God himself it wasn't Moses going up and just, you know, just thinking, of, what's ten things I can throw at these people so they'll hush? It wasn't. No, it was God and Moses, and he wrote them on that tab, tablets and brought them down, and he read them back. What's the joke? Moses was the only person to ever break all ten commandments at one time. <laughs> but the greatest thing, I think, was the ten commandments coming out of there. There, on, when he read those, they were times unbearable situations with uncertain futures. But God gives him his laws. He gives him things to go by, lessons to learn when they broke those laws. So he gave them these laws and laws that would impact, impact them as well as every nation from that point forward. Laws that impact us today. How many of our... Um, our, our uh, court systems, how many courthouses that we go to have the Ten Commandments out there? How many, how many government buildings that you go to where we see the Ten Commandments? It's still out there. And I know they're trying to take them down in some places. And we've got to take a stand on that one. But we have the Ten Commandments, and it is the same in 2020 as it was over two or three, 4,000 years ago when, when Moses and God hashed that out. We have got to continue to follow those Ten Commandments plus the ones that Jesus gave us. And he gave us several to follow. We've got to follow those. We've got to remember those commandments. Sometimes when we're in the wilderness wandering around, has anybody ever wandered in the wilderness? You ever got lost in that bear hunting? I learned, that's when I learned how to use a compass. <laughs> It's real bad, especially down there at Wilson's Creek, fighting off rattlesnakes and bears. 
Sometimes we're wandering around in our wildernesses, and we're wondering, where's God? We're going to wander around, and we're going to start complaining because that man is starting to taste a little old. I want some quail. We're going to wander in these wildernesses, and we're trying to figure out where in the world has God gotten to. We're not even sure if he's even there, or as if he's ever been there. You ever been to that point in your wilderness? I don't even think God was here in the first place. How did I get here? But it's at those points that God does some big old things. It's in those, at that time when we're in our wilderness where God shows up and he does some great things. When we have those aha moments, when we have those God moments where he steps up and like all this was to prepare, prepare me for what God has in store for me now. These little trips where I felt lost in the wilderness was building me up and strengthening me so that I could face the next step, the next wilderness I got to go into. That's when God shows up. When we feel like, like Paul told us, you know, Paul said when we're at our weakest, he's at his strongest. That's what he's doing for us. He's building us up, making us stronger. For some people, your wilderness might have been a time in your life when you felt like there was nothing left for you to do. When I can't live anymore, my marriage is failing, my job is failing, broke as a convict, I don't know if I can do it, and you get down on your knees, and you do a lot of soul searching, and God shows up. And when he does, things happen. When he does, you finally learn some of those valuable lessons that God used to reshape your life so that you don't do things like that anymore, to make your marriage stronger, to either put you in another job or make you dro- the, the, your your job stronger. He does things like that to strengthen us up. So as we wander through the wilderness and we feel like he's not there, he's there, and he's making you stronger, and he's going to give you some obstacles to go over to make you stronger. And that's what we got to do. But, but he had to take you through that wilderness first. Now the last one, if I can get there, number six, <clears throat> listen closely. Don't rush ahead. Lesson number six, do not rush ahead. Y'all know what God's timing is? I don't. I know it's perfect, but I can't figure his timing out to save my life. I'm impatient. I want things done yesterday. That's me. I'm an, imp- I'm an impatient person, ain't I? <laughs> and unfortunately, i got a nine-year-old just like me. I'm impatient. Children of Israel, they wanted to be in the promised land yesterday. Yesterday. Not not tomorrow. Not today. We want to already be there. Ain't happening. That wasn't God's timing. God said, you got many, many years ahead of you before you get there. Don't rush ahead. That wilderness experience taught them one thing, I think, is we have to deal with, and they did too, you got to deal with today, today. You've got to deal with it today. What did he tell them to do? You gather just enough manna or just quail for today. And then the day before the Sabbath, you double that. If you go too far ahead and you gather up too much stuff, it's going to spoil. And you can't eat it. Deal with today, today. We've got to remember that. Don't, don't be impatient on God. God's a patient. He's long-suffering, the Bible says. And I thank God he's long-suffering. 
but we've got to be patient and wait on his timing because we know that it's going to be perfect. He didn't want them to rush ahead. He wanted them to walk with him. And that's the thing. When we start rushing ahead, we get ahead of God. God don't want us to get ahead of him. He wants us to stay right by his side. He wants us to walk with him wherever he goes. It may be a slow walk. He may, be, may might get in a little fast pace there, here, there. He might, he might be speed walking like some of them ladies we've seen over at the campground. Just going at it the other day. Actually, Cindy does it. I've watched Cindy up there today at lunch doing her speed walking. But God said, don't rush. Just wait. Wait on my timing. Deal with today, today. God said, now this, this is what happened to Moses. Moses was impatient. You remember Moses was, was told to, to, to smote that rock back before we read this. He said, God said, smote that rock, and I'll give you water. And so he did. Well, now, children of Israel, they're thirsty. And God said, go talk to them and talk to that rock, and, and we'll get water out of that rock. But what did Moses do? Moses went to that rock, instead of waiting on God's perfect time, and he took his rod, and he smote the rock. He still got the water. But God said, you didn't obey me. This is the hard part. You didn't obey me, so now you don't get to see the promised land. You didn't listen to me. Moses, you got ahead of me. My timing was perfect, and you messed it up. All them years of walking with a bunch of Baptists whining, and now he's not going to get to go to the promised land because he got ahead of God. If you get nothing out of this today, I want you to get something out of this right here. Don't get ahead of God. Do not. Try to pass up God. Take your time, and you walk slowly with him, and you listen to what he has to tell you. Don't get ahead of God. You'll mess up. You're going to hit that rock, and you're, you're going to mess up. Not that you, just because you hit that rock don't mean you ain't going to heaven. But you're going to get ahead of yourself, and you're going to miss out on some blessings. Don't smoke that rock. You listen to what God has to tell you. God's timing is perfect. God has plans for each one of us, but you have to follow his timing and not rush ahead. I am impatient, a very impatient person. But I'm trying to figure out on the ministry side how to slow down and listen to God. I'm still trying to figure that out. In life in general, I, I want things done yesterday. And it's hard when you live in a house of people that are slower than Christmas. But I'm learning. I'm still learning. I'll keep learning. I'll keep learning. I'll learn to the day I'm, I die. I know. But remember this. God never does things just to be cruel. He doesn't do things just to, to, to make life miserable for us. Okay, He does things so that we can learn and, and become stronger people, stronger Christians, have a stronger faith. I think we all know that. When you go through hard times, when you go through that wilderness, when you finally come out, your faith in Him is a lot stronger than it ever was. So remember that. He has a lesson or two he wants each one of us to learn. So instead of putting on that old poor, old pitiful me attitude, maybe it's time to hit your knees and say, okay, God, what do you need me to do? Okay, God, what do you have for me to do right now? It's one of those hard things to do is hit your knees and say, okay, God, here I am, send me. But it's something we have to do. Okay, God, send me. This morning, I hope you can get something out of the children of Israel. Um, I keep harping on that they're Baptists, but they are. They're whiners. They're whiners. But there's a lot of lessons in, in the children of Israel that we can learn from 
And there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from Moses um, in, in a leadership standpoint that we need to, to pull out of that. But use a lot of grace. We've got to have, Moses had a lot of grace with, those, with the children of Israel. He learned how to, uh, how to love them and correct them at the same time. And that, that's kind of hard to do. But he used grace. Had a lot of grace. Stand with me. We're going to close out. Father, this morning as we have uh, come to your house, Lord, to look at your word, Lord, and, and look at where you use Moses in such a great way, but you also use those children of Israel, your people, Lord, as you allowed them to go through that wilderness, Lord, as you allowed them uh, to, to make it towards that promised land. Father, we know that that generation didn't make it, but Father, there was a generation after that that did, and there's so much that we can learn from them. Lord, about being patient and waiting on your timing. Lord, minding you. Lord, eating, eating and feasting on whatever you're giving us today and not hoarding it up and, and, and trying to get ahead of the game and not try to get ahead of you. So, Father, this morning as we close out, I pray each one of us can do just that. Lord, that we wait on your perfect timing. Father, I pray that each one of us uh, would not rush ahead. And, Lord, and not be so impatient when it comes to your will. Because, Lord, we know your will is perfect, and that's exactly where we need to be, is right in the center of that will. Father, I pray each one of us can take our time this week and, and slow down just a little bit, Lord, and, and focus on you and focus on what you have in store for us. And, Lord, we look forward to the blessings that are going to come from, from that. Lord, as we close out this morning, I pray that you would be with those that are sick. Lord, continue to be with Gene and that family as he as he is there at, uh, at Life Care. God, I pray that you would just grant comfort and peace for that family as well lord for miss georgia as she uh, tries to figure out what's the next step in her life lord with her home i pray that you would allow her to use discernment lord and seek your face that she makes decisions that would be uh, pleasing to you and lord as, and as this church lord as chestnut Dale, father i pray that each one of us will continue to turn for you for guidance in our lives and lord would you seek uh, your face lord as we move forward and and the rest of this year we're, we're finally halfway over halfway through the year lord we're ready to get this thing over with and, and start anew, Lord, and see what you have in store for us. God, I pray that you would allow us to do just that. We love you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this Sunday. All in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll see you all tomorrow morning, I guess, online.